The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. It's hard to categorize it because there are elements of a thriller in it and there's parts of it are very dark. There's a lot of history in it. I go to Sarajevo during the war, the Bosnian war. Um, I go to Israel in the nineties, you know, I go all over the world really. Uh, it's also, it's funny. I mean, that's the part that's really funny is that it's funny. I remember giving it to my agent, Sloan Harris, who is one of my most beloved people, you know, I told him that my husband, Bruce, thought it was funny. And he said, your husband is a very sick man. This book is not funny. This is so dark. But he, now even he says it's funny. So it's a weird book. I, you know, I hope that it's uh, as, as entertaining as it is disturbing, maybe. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. New York Times bestselling author and educator, Helen Shulman spoke to me about her winding path to bestseller, why a writing career is 90% sweat and rejection, and how the Me Too movement inspired her latest novel, Lucky Dogs. Helen Shulman is the New York Times bestselling author of seven novels, including Come With Me and This Beautiful Life, and she's currently the fiction chair their creative writing program at the New School. Her latest, Lucky Dogs, is described as a novel that lays bare what happens to women, no matter how fortunate they may appear to be on the surface, whose lives have been warped by brutality and misogyny. Best-selling author Jennifer Egan called the book part thriller, part Hollywood satire, and a brash, sometimes heartbreaking saga in which trauma and self-preservation converge across decades and continents. Helen's fiction, nonfiction, and reviews have appeared in such places as Vanity Fair, Time, Vogue, GQ, the New York Times Book Review, and the Paris Review. She also serves as executive director for Write On NYC, a fellowship program that provides free creative writing instruction to underserved New York City school children. And a trigger warning for this episode, there are brief mentions of sexual violence and the atrocities of war. In this file, Helen and I discussed why her latest book isn't funny, her intensive research process, why she wrote her latest from bed, her passion for helping underprivileged kids discover a love of writing, how to tell if a writer is going to make it, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. 
And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. Yes, we are back on The Writer Files. I am very honored today to be joined by an esteemed guest. We have the New York Times bestselling author, Helen Shulman is joining us today, and I am praying that I pronounce your name properly. You did it perfectly. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to pick your brain about all things writing, the writing life, um, this fantastic new novel, Lucky Dogs, of course. And um, yeah, what, what is happening over there? What's, uh, what's new in New York City these days? New York is coming back. That's all I can hope for. You know, we were hit so hard with the pandemic. And then um, it's been, we've stumbled back to life, I think. I, I was just in Paris teaching, actually, and Paris seemed much more back to its old self than New York has. But now it's Pride Weeks a month. So downtown is hopping and people are outside and eating out and having fun. And that feels good. Well, you must feel good about the release of the latest and the fantastic coverage that it has gotten. And I want to talk about Lucky Dogs, but first I want to talk about your superhero origins as a writer and an educator and this really interesting circuitous uh, career that you've had. But yeah, let's talk about a little bit about kind of take us back and um, just talk about kind of how you got here and um, you know when, when this career kind of really, really started for you. I guess it must have started really um, when I graduated from MFA school. I mean, I always was a reader and I always wrote in secret um, as a kid. Um, and I took classes. Uh, I went to Cornell and I just loved it and um, couldn't believe that anybody was going to give me a degree in reading books, um, which is what an English major was. But I also wrote some bad poetry there and started writing fiction and then I went to um, Columbia to get my MFA, and I published my thesis. So it was a collection of short stories, um, and I was really excited and, and pretty young, I guess about 28. Um, and then, you know, eight people read it, and I started writing screenplays with a friend of mine from grad school, and we got a screenwriting gig, and then there was a writer's strike, like just like now. And so began the cycle of ups and downs that has um, persisted over all these years. I, I started, uh, I attempt for the next few years and wrote a novel. Um, I started teaching. I, I did a, always a hodgepodge. It was always um, kind of like um, being a juggler. I taught, I wrote nonfiction, I wrote screenplays, I wrote fiction, I attempt. I worked in, as a neurological research assistant. I just did everything I could to make money. And uh, um, about 20 years ago, I ended up at the new school, um, which is a university in New York City. And there I got on a tenured track. So now I'm a tenured professor. I'm the chair of fiction in the MFA program. And I run a program with my students that I love called Write On, where we mm. uh, train teachers to go into area public and middle schools. 
um, to teach creative writing and literature. Um, so that's my day job now, though I still do all the other stuff. I write book reviews, I write essays, some once in a while I write a screenplay, and I work on fiction. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, um, quite a career, and it's been really, really an interesting journey for you, it sounds like. And I understand, I mean, there's a couple things I wanted to ask you about, of course, right on New York City, and then um, kind of your involvement with Aspen Words. Um, and then we can kind of dovetail that into Lucky Dogs. But um, yeah, uh, this fantastic organization right on New York City, I understand uh, you, you really are passionate about providing writing teachers to New York City middle and high school students, right? Oh, I'm crazy about it. Uh, my best friend from high school is a banker with a heart, and he got involved with this all-boys school on St. Mark's Place in the East Village. Um, kids are 99% boys of color and probably the equal amount under the poverty line. And he asked me to come in as um, a visiting writer, and I fell in love. I mean, I just was like Cupid's arrow straight to my heart. The kids were so passionate mm. about literature and they kept saying, Miss Helen, Miss Helen, what should we be reading? And I realized that what they were reading were really great old dead white guys um, <laughs> and nobody who looked like them. And so I, when I got back to the new school, I said to a couple of my students, do you guys want to volunteer at the school I just found? And they said, sure. So I sent two students in, one's trans and the other is brilliant and partially deaf and both were white. And the whole thing was amazing. The kids fell in love with my kids. My kids fell in love with them. We started this program. Then a friend of mine from the gym, a woman named Vicki Gottlieb, and I were having a drink and I was telling her about it. And that next thing I knew, her 19-year-old daughter was calling me and saying, my mom's turning 50 and we wanted to give her a present we'd like to give you some money to start paying your students in this program. Wow. So I had a student, uh, Guy Finn Lambert, who's still working with me, and he had an MBA, and I, of course, know nothing about money. And so <laughs> anyway, the, the, the four of us started this program, and that's almost eight years ago, and now we're in three schools. We send in between 16 and 20 fellows a year, We've had 77 of our fellows have graduated from our program, and probably 30 of them are teaching for a living now. Um, but it's just been really thrilling and exciting, especially during COVID when everything fell apart and my students were kind of blown to the winds. And mm -hmm. they taught online, these kids who were like locked in their apartments, you know, and yeah. some of my students were teaching from bus stops and people's couches and basements. And the kids were stuck in their apartments and they had relatives die and friends die. And, and yet everybody produced all this beautiful work. And it gave me hope and courage during that very bleak time. Amazing. What an inspiring story to hear about. And I understand in 2022, you sent some fellows to the Roaring Fork Valley in Colorado. Yeah. And I am originally from Denver, born and raised. My sister um, lived in Snowmass Village, which is right down the street from Aspen. So I know all about Aspen Words. Um, that fantastic organization you, you, you have been involved with as well. You were a fellow. Yeah, that was the best. I was so lucky. Um, you know, Issa Cato and her husband, um, Daniel, they... Um, Daniel Shaw, 
they open up their beautiful guest house to writers. I guess they must do about 10 a year for a month at a time. And it was just heaven. Uh, I just loved it. I, the, the landscape is so incredible. And if I could, mm-hmm. I'd move. Um, but then after that, yeah, I, I loved Aspen Words and I taught in their summer uh, conference. And then, you know, I had all these fellows and we learned that we could teach online. So we did a collab with them and taught in their schools for a while. And then Aspen Words very generously flew my fellows out to Colorado where they worked boots on the ground with the kids and change their lives. I know that. Hmm. So that was amazing. But I love Aspen Words. I love Adrian Brodeur. I love Carolyn Torrey. I mean, I just think it's a wonderful organization. Helps so many people in so many ways. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Let's talk about your seventh novel, uh, Lucky Dogs, uh, that has been called part thriller, part Hollywood satire. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear how you describe it or, you know, kind of what genre you would bend toward. But uh, yeah, I guess I want to talk about the origins, of course. And I I understand that it was inspired by two relatively uh, major players in this globe-spanning chapter of the Me Too uh, Weinstein saga, right? Yeah, I mean, no, I was obsessively reading um, about all the Me Too stuff coming out, just getting more and more furious when I came upon this piece of information in a Ronan Ronan Farrow article about how Harvey Weinstein, via 
David Boyce, who was his attorney, very famous attorney, Bush v. Gore, David Boyce, David Boyce of gay marriage, um, also the David Boyce of Theranos. Uh, anyway, mm. he um, was trying to stop the actress Rose McGowan from publishing um, her memoir in which she talks about how he raped her. And um, Boyce went to Ehud Barak, who was the former uh, prime minister of Israel, to find the right spy for this wonderful job. And um, Barak told him to go to Black Cube, which is a, a spy, private spy agency made up of ex-Mossad agents. And I was just so stunned by, I'm a very naive person. You know, everyone keeps saying to me, so that surprised you? But yeah, that surprised me that these really wealthy, powerful men went all out of their way to aid, you know, a serial mass rapist um, and paid this woman a boatload of money to destroy this actress's memoir and try to keep her silent. Um, and I was so enraged by it. And, and then I was also really freaked out because I thought, how could one woman so utterly betray another woman? I mean, she came in as a spy and she befriended her. And um, she pretended to be involved with women's causes. And so th to answer that question, I wrote the book. <laughs> to, put, to put it succinctly, um, well, fa fantastic coverage. Um, I thought it was very cool that Jennifer Egan had some uh, very nice things to say about it. Um, of course, I had mentioned that she called it part thriller, part Hollywood satire. Lucky Dogs is a brash, sometimes heartbreaking saga in which trauma and self-preservation converge across decades and continents. And she said, this is Helen Shulman's best novel yet. That's, that seems pretty sweet of her. That was very nice of Jenny. Jenny, very generous person. <laughs> yes. So uh, let's talk some about uh, the work, of course. And are you calling it a psychological literary thriller? I, I don't call it anything but my book. I mean, I think it's it's hard to categorize it because there are elements of a thriller in it, and there's parts of it are very dark. There's a lot of history in it. I go to Sarajevo during the war, the Bo Bosnian War. Um, I go to Israel in the '90s. You know, I go all over the world. Really, uh, it's also it's funny. I mean, that's the part that's really funny is that it's funny. I remember giving it to my agent, Sloan Harris, who is one of my most beloved people. You know, I told him that my husband, Bruce, thought it was funny. And he said, your husband is a very sick man. This book is not funny. This is so dark. But he, now even he says it's funny. So it's a weird book. I, you know, I hope that it's uh, as, as entertaining as it is disturbing, maybe. Is that what you set out to, to write? You know, I mean, humor is so hard to, to pull off. But yeah, there are, it, is, it, is, it does have this undercurrent of dark humor, dark satire, and the skewering of this really, really um, tense time in history, as you put it. I thought in the New York Times uh, review, there was one uh, quip where they said, is it hashtag too soon? <laughs> too soon. <laughs> 
she was pretty funny. I mean, Alexandra Jacobs was, was I thought it was a hilarious review, you know. Here, I got I got it. I'm going to I'm going to I'm just going to quote it. Um, the book is deeply knowing, properly indignant, and maybe the best revenge. Very funny. If you think it's hashtag too soon to satirize hashtag me too, go back to your yoga mat. I mean, it's funny, but you know, I was scared a lot when I was writing it. I mean, yeah. just, is there anybody alive I didn't offend? I wonder sometimes, you know, my character <laughs> is so, Mary is so out there and so foul mouthed and she just kick her and she kicks you back in the teeth um which is what i love about her but you know there's a I, I do name names um there's a lot of things that happen that are grotesque i i know that everybody calls it satire including jenny egan but i don't think it's satire i think it's realism um you know i i sourced a lot of it i mean i i really did so much research on this book it's not funny yeah, talk talk a little bit more about the research, the intensive um, research that went into it. Well, I was I, there were two things motivating me. One was you know this idea of of these mass rapists being protected and um, coddled by other powerful wealthy men. Um, and women, some women helping them and some not, and some helping them out of fear and degradation. You know, that was just like one stream of thought. But the other was that I was really obsessed with the idea of civil war. I felt like our country was on the brink of it and maybe still is. And um, I'd been thinking a lot about um, the Bosnian War and about Israel. And then when I was reading up on this Ronan Farrow tidbit, the, the woman, the spy that was um, hired in real life had grown up during the siege of Sarajevo. So that's when the whole thing, I just thought, I have to write this. I have to figure it out. So I, I went to Sarajevo. I got, um, or I was lucky enough that... Um, Jack, Jackie Gifford, who's the, the editor-in-chief of Travel and Leisure, sent me to Bosnia on an assignment. And I went early and I stayed in Sarajevo and then I was all over Bosnia. Um, and it was a stunning experience. Um, I had started researching and read, reading about the war and, and I actually started writing that section before I went and I threw out everything I had written and I started over because it had all been wrong. It wasn't until I got to Bosnia that, you know, I saw how war-torn still the country is and really learned of the atrocities, which I'm Jewish. I'm not comparing the Bosnian War to the Holocaust, but I will tell you the atrocities are similar. Um, and it, it killed me. Uh, so that was a lot of research for that. And then there is a section in Israel where you, you go with this, the, the woman who's the spy and see how her life evolved. And I, I didn't make it to Israel. It was COVID. And so I just researched that. And then I did through a friend of mine, um, Rebecca Sachs introduced me to this guy, Benjamin Ballant, who's a writer and editor in Israel. And he vetted it for me because I wanted to make sure it felt real. So I went to Florida. The book book takes place in Paris, 
Sarajevo, Venice Beach, California, Israel, and Florida. And so, yeah, I went everywhere but Israel. Of course, uh, we won't do any spoilers on the show, but I thought it thought it very interesting that part of Mary's backstory was working at a tavern in Woody Creek, which, if you don't know, is the is the famous famous um, hangout of one Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, the ha- the house where I was staying when I was a fellow was just up the hill from the Woody Creek Tavern, and I was alone for the month. Though my my hosts were really kind and generous and had me for dinner and stuff. But I used to just walk down that hill and go <laughs> and it was the Olympics. I'd sit at the bar and I'd, you know, eat my Mexican food and talk to the bar flies and watch the Olympics at the bar. I just loved it. Yeah, so I said it there. I said that part there. <laughs> That's amazing. So I told you my sister uh, was actually worked for the sheriff's department, sheriff's, um, department in Snowmass village. She was an animal control specialist and she, uh, met her current fiance doing that job because he was a game warden for Aspen, you know, the Aspen in the surrounding area. And, uh, he would get called to Hunter S. Thompson's property to put out fires often because oh. apparently, and this, I, you know, this is just hearsay, but apparently he, he and his Hunter S. Thompson and his neighbor would, uh, got into a feud where they were shooting, um, I think large gr- grade fireworks at one another. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of sounds like him uh, from the little I know. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. Apparently, that's where he drank himself to death. I think is the Wooded Creek Tavern. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, it's God's country. It's so gorgeous. It's it just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond that, congrats on the coverage, and of course, really cool. Kirkus in a start review said, "In a word, while Shulman has engineered a series of breathtaking aha moments set to go off like timed explosives, her finest work to date." Echoing what what Jennifer said. Uh, so very cool. Um, so, so what's, what's next for you? How do you feel about, uh, any upcoming projects? I mean, you, it just seems like you've got your fingers in a lot of different things and, uh, you know, are you someone who just has to constantly be busy? Uh, and how are you getting words? <laughs> you know, I, I work a lot. I've always had to work a lot. Um, yeah, I have two kids who are now grown, but for many years, I taught and taught, and I took care of both my parents. I'm just busy. I'm a busy person. But I have, in between the story, in between the novels and screenwriting, I've written stories over the years and the last, I guess, 15, 20 years. So I'm going to bring out a little small collection of stories. Um, I have to rewrite some of them. That's my next project. Uh, nice. Kanaf is going to bring them out or Penguin Random is going to bring it out in paperback um, so probably in the next year or so I should be done with that and then I have an idea for a new novel but I'm not mm. talking about it yet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just started thinking it through yeah I, I guess maybe to just discuss your process from a 
10,000 foot view. Um, what, what does a prolific period look or feel like for you when you're, you know, when, when you're not encumbered by all these other bu- bureaucratic responsibilities, what, what is a good day? Well, that's, you know, that's a great question. Uh, when COVID hit, I was just finishing, I had a Guggenheim fellowship, which I, I went to uh, Bosnia during that period because I wasn't teaching. I went to New Mexico to work. A lot of things happened. My mom died in that period. And then I was one of the first people I know to get COVID. I got it on March 15th, 2020. And I really didn't, was not well again for, oh, a really long time. So during COVID, I was in bed a lot and isolated. And I wrote this book. I mean, that's what happened. I was so bored, frustrated, scared, wondering where our next dollar was going to come. I got was pretty weak after, and I would. I remember cleaning the house and just having to lie down on the floor. We live in an apartment uh, on the Upper West Side, and my husband came in and he goes, "What can I do for you?" And I said, "Just get me my laptop." So I wrote for hours and hours during that period a day. I mean, sometimes I go 10, 12 hour days, which has never been true because I've always been so busy doing other things that, you know, I'd sneak in writing time. I would go to colonies sometimes when the kids were little, I'd go away for a week or two. I was just always so busy, but in that period, couldn't go out, couldn't do anything. I got so much writing done. Yeah. It was funny, too, because writing about the siege of Sarajevo, that my the family I was writing about were, were living in a basement and they couldn't go outside because they would get shot at. And there was something, I mean, I'm not equi- equating them, please. I understand it's completely different, but we really were locked in for a while here in New York. And there was something about that claustrophobia that fed the book and kind of a fever dream. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I have heard this, the claustrophobic piece, just speaking with Ashley Audrain about that same, same thing is, is, you know, on, in lockdown, she, you know, it's like the only, the only view she had really as a writer who, who always found herself needing to get out into public to write, you know, at a coffee shop or a bar or whatever. She said, you know, all of a sudden all, all she could see were her neighbors, you know, backyards or whatever. And, uh, it kind of fed into her latest. It was, it was weird here. We live on the eighth floor and we turn on our water and it would just take like a few minutes for it to cough its way up because so many people have left our building that we would just get air bubbles. You know, so many people fled New York. It was so quiet. Yeah. Interesting. Must have been eerie. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Before we wrap up with just your final words of um, inspiration, I have a fun one for you. If you could have dinner to any restaurant or drinks to any uh, spot in the world uh, with any author from any era, who would you take and where would you take them? Oh, that's hard. That's a hard one. You've probably already had a few of these fantastic meetups with your peers, but you know, this, this is a, we can bend space and time for you. Oh, Wow. Well, you know, I mean, William Faulkner is my favorite all-time writer who changed my life, but that probably just means we would be drinking somewhere. Um, (laughs) You know, pragmatically, I would really love to have dinner with somebody who's really got um, a program, a writing and education program off the ground, like, 
somebody like Mackenzie Scott, who's a novelist, or even um, Dave Edgar's, what he did, because I want to grow right on. Um, so, so people who care about the next generation coming up, that would be a, my pragmatic choice. Yeah. Where would you take them? Somewhere in, in New York City? Somewhere in, I think Dave is in San Francisco? Yeah. Well, then he would probably tell me where he would like to go. But there you um, go. yeah, I like Paris. I, I would invite somebody out to dinner at the Comptoir de Relais in Paris, which is very, um, really wonderful food and really sort of low key and not fancy and very pretty corner right by the Odeon. And you can just sit and drink and look at people go by and talk. Yeah. Nice glass of wine. Yeah. Bottle of wine. Bottle of wine. Bottle of wine. And what would you order for the table? Oh. For the taste, oh my god, this is this is getting hard. I don't eat meat, so I um, I just eat uh, fish and vegetables. But they have this incredible thing with raw, like carpaccio of um, scallops, mm. and it's pretty good. But um, they can have whatever they want. To. My guests can have whatever they want. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we appreciate your time, your words, your wisdom. Um, if you could just leave us with one final pearl of wisdom on just how to persevere through, through the tough times. You know, it's a funny thing about writing. People always ask me, can you tell which of your students are going to make it or whatever that means, get published? And it really is the ones who stick with it. It's, it's really about perseverance. Uh, it's, you know, 90% of it is sweat and hanging in there and being able to sit and take it because there's so much rejection. And there, sometimes you just feel like you live in the world of no, and there isn't usually a lot of money. And, you know, you'd say, why even do it? Except you can't stop. So I think if you're really a writer, you can't stop. Um, if, if you have dreams of publishing and that, you have to just work and keep going. I've had students who... Uh, took 20 years to publish their first novel and then it was really successful, you know, and, and that's more than one, you know, it's just many years of meeting them for a drink or a coffee as mm -hmm. one rejection after the other, or, you know, sometimes there would be a press and the press would fold or, and then in the end it's a success and to other people it looks easy, but it's just a lot of hard work really. And people don't see that because it's not like you're building a house and they see you sweating. And, um, but you are kind of building a house every day, very slowly, you know, in the privacy of your home, in your pajamas. The only thing that's interesting about it is what's going on in your head. It's hardly an exciting lifestyle, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's necessary for me to live. It's necessary for me to do it. Beautiful. Well, Helen, congrats um, on the latest Lucky Dogs. Of course, I'll drop a link there. And I will drop a link to um, the new school right on NYC, of course, as well. And uh, ask for words just for fun. And um, appreciate Thank you. you. Uh, are you out there on social media anywhere? I'm not. Okay. Just I'm not. Sure. I'm a lot <laughs> Good of, for you. All I do is write about <laughs> the internet, but I'm never on it. But thank you for dropping links. <laughs> Thanks course. for anybody who picks it up. I appreciate it. 100%. We appreciate you. Come back anytime and uh, we will chat with you again, hopefully in the future. Thank you so much, Kelton. It was a delight. 
Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm. <laughs>